Hello and welcome back to session five of the new creation teaching series that we are in right now. And I entitled this session, The Fall of Sin's Dictatorship. Even from the title, you can, you can sense my excitement and the joy that I have to speak about this topic, about this subject. And beginning with this session, we are entering in the climax of this series that will last for a, a couple of sessions. And we are going to talk about the things that we have been preparing in the previous sessions to talk about, and it will be made mainly about the facets of grace, of the grace of God that He has given us by Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And we will see how we can overcome sin and how can we take advantage and how can we live the every day in the grace of God, in the grace of Jesus Christ. Are you excited to, to start to dive in? Um, if you remember last in the last session, we talked about righteousness and about the fact that the new creation receives uh, a new nature that is righteousness. Not only legally, but also vitally. The new creation, the believer, becomes the righteousness of God. If you remember 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we have become righteousness. The nature of our spirits has become righteousness. And if you remember in the first session, I, I explained that a spirit, and we, we proved from the Bible that a spirit and uh, ourselves, the spirit cannot have two natures in the same time. It cannot be both sin and righteousness, or both death and life. The Holy Spirit who is in us, who came in, in us and over us when we became born again, cannot coexist together with a sin nature. You cannot to, have two natures. The Bible says that your body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells in this temple, dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit cannot live with a sin nature. There is an illustration that a lot of Christians, uh, a lot of people, I don't know if Christians, but a lot of people are using that uh, in you, there are actually two natures or two dogs. And the one you feed more, it's either the spirit, the, the new spirit or the, the flesh. The, the one that you feed more, that one will, will drive your life and will be more prominent. But that's not true. There are not two dogs. There are not two natures in you. There is only one nature. And we'll explain why we have the feeling that there are two natures in us. We'll talk about it. And this is exciting. And if you are ready, I pray that the Holy Spirit will prepare our hearts, your heart, my heart, so that when we study the Word of God, we will understand and we will receive life from His Word, and we receive joy, freedom, life. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. So today, we are going to talk about the some of the implications or consequences of us Christians becoming righteousness and changing the nature of our spirit. And one of the main consequences or implication is that we no longer have a sin nature. And, and that's exciting news. And before you freak out, I, I will ask you to bear with me because we will explain in what way we don't have a sin nature anymore or a sinful nature or a flesh. Uh, but if you are ready, let's, let's begin by reading two passages from the Bible. The first one comes from Romans 5.12 and the second one from Romans 5.21. So Romans 5.12, let's read it together. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And the second passage from Romans 5.21 says this, So that as sin reigned in death, 
even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even from the beginning, in the introduction of this session, I want to make a distinction between sin as nature and sins and as sinful actions. And the noun sin in singular number talks about nature, about nature. And we will see in these two passages uh, this, this uh, thing, that the noun sin talks about nature while the noun sins in the plural number or the verb to sin talks about sinful actions that come form that come forth mainly because of the sin nature but not only and when i say not only it is because adam the first man did not adam and eve did not have a sinful nature and still they were tempted and they were able to sin so while since most of our sinful actions come forth from our sin nature it's not necessarily so and also if you think about jesus jesus didn't didn't have a sinful nature but he still felt all the temptations in the same way every human being feels them they were strong to him and he was he had the potential to sin but he did not praise the lord but adam did so i want to make this distinction between the sin as nature and the verb to sin which refers to sinful actions and if you if you will study more in the book of romans Sin as verb is present only two times in Romans 5.12 and 6.15. Now it depends on the translation that you're using. I'm using the New American Standard. And there is only two times the sin as verb present in the epistle of Romans. And 46 times as a noun, singular noun, which refers to nature. And in all Pauline epistles, the epistles of Paul, in all of them, sin as verb or a sinful action is present 14 times while sin as noun singular number is present 55 times so there there is a difference between sin nature and sinful actions and i, I want to make two two sets of equivalences or uh, i want to explain that there are two natures there is a sin nature and there is the righteousness nature sin nature righteous nature before salvation, people have a sin nature in, the, in their spirit. Their spirit is sin. And after salvation, their spirit becomes righteousness. They have a righteousness nature. And the sin nature is the same thing, is equivalent with sinful nature or with the flesh that we've been, uh, I, I, I spoke about in the first session when I talked about spiritual death. Uh, sin is the sin nature, is the same thing with sinful nature and the same thing with flesh. The sinful flesh, which produces that if we saw in Romans 5:12, that sin as nature entered into the world and death came through sin. So death spread to all men. And also in 5:21 that we just read says that sin reigned in death. And in the same way, grace would reign for righteousness. So sin or the sin nature, sinful nature, flesh produced death, spiritual death and darkness. And on the other side, we have the righteousness nature, which is the same with the divine nature, uh, if we look in Peter, which produces spiritual life and light. Now we have, so we have sin and righteousness. Sin produces death and darkness. Righteousness produces life, spiritual life and light. But be behind these two natures, there are two powers, two fuels. The power of sin, 1 Corinthians 15, 15:56 says that the power of sin is the law. So behind the sin nature is the law. 
which gives it power and to produce more sinful actions. And behind the righteous nature is grace. Grace is the fuel or the power of righteousness. That um, uh, You see Romans 5.21 says that grace reigns through righteousness and to eternal life. So the law fuels the sin nature, grace fuels the righteousness nature. And we will see in what way in the, in the coming sessions we will see how grace uh, fuels the righteousness nature to produce life and to produce more righteous deeds or sinful actions. And this distinction between sin and sinful action, uh, it will be important while we discuss about the flesh or sin nature. Why do I make that equivalence? Because in this session, mainly we will be talking about the flesh and about sin nature, which is the same thing, sin nature or the flesh, sinful flesh. In this session, we'll talk about this implication that once we have a righteousness nature, the flesh or the power of the flesh is gone out of us. The flesh is uh, consists is made up of the sin nature in the spirit in the inner man plus the conditioning of the mind which is in the soul the soul layer and then plus uh, the lusts or the passions or the desires of the body. So we are we, I said in the beginning that we are spirits, our main identity is our spirit. We are spirits that have a soul and live in a body. So the flesh comprises all these three elements. The spirit, where, which is the core or the power of the flesh, that's, where, that's the, the energy of the flesh, the, the spirit and the sin nature. The second layer of the flesh is the mind and the soul or the conditioning of the mind after the nature of the spirit. And the third layer is the physical body. And we see in the New Testament, I, I picked up a few passages that talk about flesh. And every, almost everywhere where the flesh, the word flesh is used, uh, the, uh, the Greek sarx is used. And we will see that flesh is used uh, as physical body or as spiritual nature or as, uh, as mind or fleshly mind as, or in the soul. So let's go first to Luke 24, 39 where it, uh, it talks about the flesh as the physical body. Uh, read with me Luke 24, 39. See my hands and my feet, that Jesus is speaking here, that it is, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. This word flesh here and bones clearly refers to the physical body of Jesus. He said, look at me, touch me and see that I'm, I have a physical body. I am flesh and bones. As you see that I have. And here the word, the Greek word used is sarx. Then we move on to Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul says, "Is the life that I live now in the flesh, in the physical body. Again, we see the Greek term sarx for physical body, flesh. And then we see, we go to Romans 8, 9, and then Galatians 5, 24. But let's read together first Romans 8, 9. However, Paul is speaking here, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ... He does not belong to him. So here we see uh, the same term and the Greek term is uh, still sarx, but the, the meaning is different. 
here flesh has the meaning of spiritual, uh, spiritual nature because Paul says you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. But we are in the physical body, right? So when he says you are not in the flesh, he means that you, your, your spirit has changed. You're no longer in the flesh, in the spiritual flesh, but in the, in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells. So here flesh talks about spiritual nature, the inner sin nature. Uh, that I said earlier, it's, uh, it's the power, it's the engine of all the sinful action and all the flesh, all the other components of the flesh. Galatians 5.24 Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now we know that our soul and our mind has not been crucified when we come to Christ and neither our physical body. But here Paul says that our flesh has been crucified. So again he talks about the flesh as spiritual nature of the 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 nature of the the old spirit the sin nature the flesh nature and uh, and it's the same term greek term sarks used and one more passage from romans 8 5 to 6 where where we see the flesh present in the mind not only in the physical body not only in the in the spirit uh, but also in the mind paul again says in romans 8 5 to 6 for those who are according to the flesh meaning to the spiritual flesh, which is in the, our spirits, set their minds on the things of the flesh. You see the conditioning of the mind after the flesh? But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So you can have a fleshly mind. A mind, uh, and again we have the same term, SARS. You can have a mind conditioned, to think fleshly. So you have the flesh in the spirit, the flesh in the mind, and the flesh in the physical body present too. And in this session, uh, I wanted to make this definition, to give you this definition of the flesh, the spirit, the conditioning of the mind, which is the soul and the body, because we are, we are, we are going to see in this session that the first part of the flesh, the most important part, is gone. The new creation is dead to the sin nature. He, the new creation no longer has a sinful nature, meaning in, in his spirit, because the real you is your spirit. You will still have the conditioning of the mind after the flesh and the, your physical body, but the first component, the sin nature, the flesh from the spirit is gone, is dead. And we will see how. Let's read from Romans 6, 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in, into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ 
having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now let's split this long passage and take verse by verse, not every verse, but some of the main verses and see what is Paul trying to say here. And let's go first at verse 2, where it says, May it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? It is obvious here that Paul is not talking about, about dying to sinful actions, but to sin as nature. Because after salvation, we still do sinful actions. Isn't that right? But Paul says that you died to sin. So you died to the sin nature and not to the sinful actions that might, might still be present. Coming from the soul, from your mind, from your physical body. But nevertheless... We die. The new creation has died to sin. And Jesus, if we think about Jesus in verse 10, this passage was saying that Jesus died to sin once for all. Jesus, in the same way, died to the sin nature and not to sinful actions because Jesus had none. Jesus did not have any sinful actions. So he could not have died to sinful actions, but to sin, to the sin nature. And when a person is dead to, to, his, to his or her relatives, to the family, we all know that no matter how much people try to interact with that person, there is no reaction there. The person is dead. And in the same way, Adam, when he fell in his sin, he died to righteousness. He died to God and became alive to sin. In, this, in a similar way, now when we come into Christ, the last Adam, we die to sin and we exit the realm of spiritual death and we enter the realm of life. I, I spoke about this uh, in detail in the first session. Adam died to righteousness, died to God and to the spiritual life and became alive to sin. But we, when we come in Christ, we die to sin and become alive to righteousness and become alive to God. And the core of the sinful flesh, the first element in our spirit, in the, the sin nature, is gone. The sinful flesh is gone. It may be perplexing for you. It may be surprising. And even it's almost unbelievable. We'll read a few verses where we'll see clearly that the flesh is gone. Uh, not in, 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 in its entirety, that, but the power of the flesh is gone. And the evil principle in us is gone. There is no longer an outside, an outside force or an evil principle that we cannot control that makes us sin. That is what I'm trying to say here. The flesh now consists only in the conditioning of our minds and the desires of the body, which are subordinated to the spirit. We will see that they are not a factor. Even though they are still there, the habits, the, pro the programming, the conditioning of your mind uh, has, is fleshly and it, it needs to be renewed. And also your physical body is mortal. Nevertheless, they are not a factor and they are subordinated to the new nature, to the righteousness nature. That's the king. The spirit is the king. The, uh, when we were in sin, the sinful nature was the king. When we are righteousness, the, the righteous nature is the king and controls the mind, the soul, and the body. Now let's go to verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old self 
was crucified with him in order that our, our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. What is this old self? What did I say that is the real identity of the person? Who is the real you? Who is the real me? It is the spirit, our spirit, your spirit. So I was saying in the previous session, and here you see why I need to, to make those prep, uh, preparatory sessions, that you are a spirit that has a soul and lives in a body. So the old self, the old identity, the old real you is crucified according to this verse 6. The old self was crucified with Christ. So your old spirit has been crucified with Christ, is dead. The flesh is crucified with Him. The second part of the verse says, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. What is this body of sin? Many com uh, commentators of the Bible say that the phrase body of sin refers to the physical body, which is subject to sin. But if that were true, and the, the body of sin, this expression refers to the physical body, let's read again verse 6. Uh, and, and replace the body of sin with the physical body. It will read like this. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our physical body might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. In other words, uh, if the body of sin means physical body, from this verse we see that the purpose for that the old self was crucified with Christ is that our bodies would be destroyed, done away with, and then... After that, so that we will no longer be slaves to sins. So first, the first wrong issue is that, that doesn't seem right is that our old self was crucified within that our bodies may be destroyed. That's not true. And the second thing that is not true is that it would seem that we are no, we, we are no longer slaves to sins when our bodies are destroyed. And that's again not true. That, that's, that talks about heaven. But the Bible says that now we are no longer slaves to sin. Not in heaven. So the body of sin here is not the physical body, but everything that constitutes sin. The body of sin, like you say, the body of a car or the body of Christ. Everything that constitutes sin, the sin nature. So now if you read with this, with this understanding, you would read this. Knowing this, that our old self, our old spirit was crucified with him in order that our sin nature or flesh might be done away with. Are you excited to hear that? So that we will no longer be slaves to sin. Yes, your mind is still fleshly. Your body is still fleshly. But the Bible says, nevertheless, you are no longer slaves to sin. So that means that the body and the mind are not a, a factor. They are there, but the mind gets renewed and the body has to be disciplined and conformed to the new nature, to the righteousness nature. And uh, one more thing here, we are no longer, the Bible says we are no longer slaves to sin or to the sinful flesh in the sense that he, it has been removed completely from our spirit. It says the body of sin has, has been done away with. He is no longer present there. It has been removed completely from our spirit. It is still in our souls and in our bodies. But as I said, it doesn't make us slaves to sins according to the Bible. Now let's move on to verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. We are freed from sin, not in the sense that sin is still in us, but we have the power to subdue it. That's not the sense in which we are freed from sin. But we are freed from sin in the sense that sin is removed from inside us. 
the, the sin power, the sin nature is completely removed from inside us, from our inner man. We are not set free from sin, like sin is still there, but we can control it. No, sin is gone from our spirit. But we are made free as nature from sin. Our nature is sin free. As you would say, like my vest is bulletproof. Our nature is sin proof. It's sin free. It does not have sin. Now let's move to verse 8 to 10. It says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 10 says that Christ is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. No matter what, death cannot be master over him. He died to sin once and for all, forever. Now the Bible says that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We are one with Christ. Now let's put your name and my name in verses 9 and 10. Knowing that Edward, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. I will never die again once I'm born again. Death no longer is master over me. Isn't that wonderful? For the death that I died, I died to sin once for all. But the life that I live, I live to God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that praiseworthy? When I read this and when I saw that death is no longer master over me, no matter what I do, I will never die again spiritually. I will never experience death again. And we'll talk about this more in detail in the coming sessions. Um, And finally, verse 11, Paul says, Even so, in the same manner, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, for a long time, this word consider, for me, it had the following meaning, and maybe for you too. That I'm still sinful. I still have a sinful nature. I'm still a sinner. But God and Apostle Paul uh, encourages me to consider, to think of me as being dead to sin. I'm not actually dead to sin, but I need to think of myself dead to sin and alive to God. But that is not true. The being dead to sin is a reality. That's a fact. That's the truth. And here Paul, the word consider actually means Know it to be so. Know that it is so. Even though you still see yourself doing sinful actions. Paul says know. Know the truth. Know the reality. Not just consider. Not just think of yourself. But know in your spirit. In your mind. Come to the realization that you are dead to sin. Sin has no longer any power over you. That's a lie that stays there in our minds, in in our subconscious. And the world and the devil tries to lie to us and keep us in bondage. They keep us feeling that we still have a sinful nature. We still have an evil principle in us that makes us sin. No, you don't have it. The, uh, the, the fact that you still feel some temptation, the fact that you still sin, I said in the beginning, is not necessarily uh, the, the proof that you have a sinful nature because Jesus did not have a sinful nature. Adam did not have a sinful nature and still sinned. Jesus didn't, but he felt the temptation. So the fact that you feel the temptation might make you think that you still have a sinful nature, that still sin is in you, but that's not true. You, you just need to renew your mind and, uh, uh, and discipline your physical body to conform to the reality that has taken place in your spirit, in the real you. The right believing 
will eliminate the sinful action more and more. Now let's move on to the next passage that talks about, and I, I selected a few passages that talk about the removal of the flesh because this is a major thing that the flesh has been vitally removed from our spirit, not just legally. The flesh, the sin nature has been removed vitally, essentially, tangibly from our spirit. Is no longer there. That is one factor that gives us tremendous ability to live and to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Let's go to Romans 5, 7, 5 and then 8 with verses 6 to 9. Let's read it together. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Notice here the past tense that Paul is using here and he's addressing the, the Christians in Rome. He says that while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to produce death. But if we were in the flesh in the past, now when we become saved, we, no, we are no longer in the flesh. Isn't that what it implies, this verse? If once we were, now we are not. We are no longer in the flesh. And then uh, Romans 8, 6 to 9. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to law, the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's stop for a minute here. Uh, does the new creation please God? Yes, of course, because the new creation is in Christ and Christ pleased God, pleases God. And here it says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That means the new creation is no longer in the flesh. Uh, the new creation no longer has the sinful flesh, the sin nature. Let's move on verse 9. However, and here it says exactly what I said. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Once you have the Holy Spirit in you, you belong to God and the flesh is gone. Once you have the Spirit of Christ, the, this verse says that you are no longer in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit cannot coexist together. You are either in the flesh like uh, unborn again or unsaved or in the spirit saved and in Christ. So uh, the moment you receive the spirit of Christ in you, you belong to him and the flesh is gone. You are no longer in the flesh. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh and the physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now we know that uh, Paul's soul and mind and physical body was not crucified with Christ, right? But he still says, I, I have been crucified with Christ. That means his spirit, his old spirit has been crucified with Christ, died. The sin nature was crucified with Christ. The inner man was crucified with Christ. So the flesh, the old Paul is dead. The old you is dead. 
Let's read uh, a more compelling passage from Galatians 5.24. And this is uh, these two, 2.20 and 5.24, we will memorize them in, at the end of this session. This is a cornerstone passage for the fact that the flesh is gone. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Not only the flesh, the inner flesh, the sinful flesh, but together with its passion and desires, right? is dead the flesh is dead i know that you still feel them very strong sometimes your passions desires appetites but they are only in your mind and they are lies the main purpose of of these lies of these appetites they are trying to convince your mind and you that you are still a sinner because you if you believe that you are still the same you are still a sinner that that will keep you in 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 the bondage of sin and you'll keep you sin and sin over and over much easier whenever you feel those appetites those passions the bible says that they have been crucified with christ at the moment of salvation they have no power over you so if you still feel them that means they are part of the old mind and you you just need to replace them you need you need to believe they are lies they are not the reality even though you feel overwhelmed sometimes they are not the reality they are dead amen and now let's read another passage about the sinful flesh is gone that's the main topic of this session galatians 6 14 but may it never be that i would boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ through which the world has been crucified to me and i to the world paul is talking that here that not only the flesh but the world is crucified to me and i am crucified to the world the world has no power, real power over me. I still live in the world and I still feel sometimes the effects and the temptation of the world in me. But in reality, the world has no power over me. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Praise God. Blessed be His holy name. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of all the honor, all the glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. One more passage and I think this is the last one from this section and then I'll give you an illustration that will even more will show you exactly what I'm talking about. Colossians 2 verses 11 to 13. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circum circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgression, transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions now we know that abraham was tangibly and in reality circumcised in his flesh in his physical flesh in the same way the christian the new creation this passage says that we are circumcised in a tangible way not metaphorically or symbolically it's a circumcision made without hands and it's not made in the physical flesh like in Abraham, but it's made in, a, in the spiritual flesh. Meaning that this, in the same way that some, some of the flesh was removed out of Abraham's body, uh, some, so the flesh, the sinful nature from our spirit is circumcised, is removed with the circumcision of Christ. And then we see in verse 12, it talks about, 11 actually, it talks about the body of flesh. We talked uh, earlier about the body of sin. And here we see the body of flesh. And uh, later, I think in another passage, is the body of this death. 
So again, here we, the body of the flesh does not refer to the physical body, but to the everything that constitutes of the flesh. So it says here in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of everything of the flesh, of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So Christ made the circumcision in the new creation and removed the body of the flesh. It doesn't talk about the physical body because that means that we, our body is removed. Here it says that the, the body of the flesh, everything that constitutes the flesh, has been removed by the circumcision of Christ. I don't know if you ever if you ever seen this verse, this passage. This is so powerful. So the body of flesh does not refer to physical body, but to the constitution of the spiritual flesh. Look at verse thirteen. It says that when you were dead in the transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So there was a moment in time when you were uncircumcised in your flesh. You were in your transgression, but then it came a time when you became circumcised. Right. So you were uncircumcised spiritually in your spirit. Your flesh was still there. You were dead in transgression, but now you are no longer uncircumcised. You are circumcised. And Abraham's circumcision in the physical flesh is a typology of what was going to happen with the new creation to those who are in Christ spiritually. So the flesh has been removed from our spirits. The sin nature has been removed. Our spirit has become righteousness. Allow me to give you an illustration. Many years, uh, some years ago, when I, I was still a child in, back in Romania, and for, for many of you, this might be a very interesting story. I lived for a few years during the communist time, the communist regime under Ceausescu. I don't know uh, if you ever heard of him and how many of you ever heard of him. But I lived during the communism and I want to explain this because this is a very good illustration that talks about the sin nature, the sinful actions and the mindset. If I go back to the time when I, we were, I, my family and we were under the communist regime, there, there was a power of communism sustained by the government, by the dictatorship of Ceausescu. So there was the power of communism, the engine, the, the core of communism that was was fueled by the government, by the dictatorship of Ceausescu. And there was, there, uh, then was not only the government, but the people that lived under that regime developed a mindset of communism. Communism ingrained, was ingrained into them, into their minds. They, they acquired the way of thinking that was communist. The power of communism, the government talks about the sin nature. Then the mindset of communism, attitudes, thoughts, uh, way of thinking, is the conditioning of the mind after the government, after the communist government. And there was, were the deeds of the communists, like the way, after the way we thought, and I'll give some examples, uh, then we acted in a communist way. And that, that symbolizes the body, our physical body. So the sin nature, mind, flesh in the mind, flesh in the body. But then was also the environment and the culture of communism in which we live. And that is, symbolizes the world around us. So we lived in an environment, in a culture of communism. And in the same way, we live in the world of sin, in an environment of sin. And then, not only that, but there were some forces sustaining communism. There was the secret police, there was the terrorism. The, the secret police was the, the, the way through which the government was keeping was uh, sustaining the communist regime. And those were the forces wanting to keep the communist regime. And that symbolizes the devil and his demons who try to keep us in sin and to keep us under, 
under, under sin. In the same way, the secret police was trying to keep us under communism. Now, I, I told you that I was, I, I was going to tell you some of the ca- characteristics of communism, some of the mindset. For instance, a communist, during the communist time, everyone was so afraid. Um, the, I, even I and everyone had an abnormal fear of policemen. Every time a policeman would stop, uh, would stop our car in the road, we would be fearful. You know why? Because they, were, they would wait always. They would expect bribes and money. They wanted to make money. So if you were correct, you, they will always find something that was not right with your car or, or with your work. Even though you were not guilty, they will always find something so that you would give them some money and to get away with. So every time I, I would see a policeman or they would stop our car, we would be so fearful and we would pray so that he would uh, let us go because they were unrighteous. And we could not sue anybody. Nobody would listen. You have to understand that it's a different, it's a different world. You didn't have rights. You, did, you could not sue anyone and, have, and win the trial, the process. You were at their mercy. And even now, even after I came to U.S., Every time a policeman stops me, I still have that fear. I don't want to go to court. I don't want to hear about it. I better pay or give you money, but don't send me to court. The first time when I got a fine and they sent me to court, I cried because I've never been to a court in Romania. And here, so easily, you go to court. And I was so fearful of the court because of the mindset, because of the past. Another characteristic, you did not have free speech. You could not voice your opinions or your thoughts because you would be uh, sent to jail and even killed. There there was always suspicion in families, even among Christians, because the secret police was threatening many times people if they did and their families if they did not uh, give information about their close ones or if they did not betray their family uh, or other Christians they were threatened or even rewarded because there was a tight time a time of uh, of hunger of famine the uh, food was scarcely so they would give rewards or the, or they would threaten if people would not uh, did not give information to the secret police so there there was always uh, an atmosphere of suspicion even in even between relatives, between the closed ones, even between Christians, that was a general uh, characteristic of communism. There, then there was a fear of lack and of greed because food, as I said, was costly. That developed in us a fear, um, a fear of lack or a greed. And I remember, even as a child, I would have to go and, and stay in line for for some milk, even from 3, 3 a.m. in the morning, stay in line until six, seven, or eight a.m. in the morning. For, for some bottles of milk or some, some meat. Uh, and sometimes I would stay for hours. And when the milk came, it would finish before I, I got there because the line was long. So imagine to stay for a few hours outside, stay in a line and wait for food and then food finish before you get there. And because of that, there was not so much meat, so much food. And that developed in people a, a fear of lack. And then... There was a survival mode. We were specialists in finding all kinds of workarounds to 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 solve our problems, and to uh, we were, we became very resourceful, even even doing illegal stuff because we needed to survive. So we we had to we had to find ways to live and to to solve issues, things in a, in such an atmosphere, and bribes were a very common thing. 
bribes are coming to, if you wanted to accomplish anything, you had to bribe people. For instance, the, you needed to, if you needed papers or documents done, there was such a bureaucracy and you need to pay different people to, to get things done. Or police on the streets, when they would stop, him, stop you, you would have to pay them, give them money so that they will let you go. Or in education, even my wife, when she lived in, in Moldova, she left Moldova just because that the teacher found out that she was the only one who didn't put money, contributed with money for her present, for her birthday present. And until then, she was a, an A student. And after that, when she found out that she didn't give money, from that morning, loudly in the whole classroom, she said, from now on, uh, Natalia, you will not have any more A's, only B's and C's, just because she did not give money for a present. So imagine this, even in the hospital, if, if you went to the hospital, you have to pay doctors to, to treat you or to take care of you. Uh, if you wanted to vehicle inspection to pass, if you wanted to pass, you had to pay and bribe people. In all the areas of society, you had to bribe people. So these are a few, few of the mindset of the communism. What I want to say is that when the power of communism fell in 89, things didn't finish there because communism was so ingrained in people and it took like 25, 30 years, even now, for that communism to come out of people. And in the beginning, not only that, there, there, was, there were forces, terrorists, the remainings of the secret police who thought for a few years, even after the dictator fell, the government fell, they thought and they killed people to try to bring back the communism into the country. So that symbolizes the devil who still fights, even though sin is dead, the sin dictatorship is fallen in the new creation. He still fights to keep you under sin. And the same way those that, that, the, that secret police tried to bring back the communist regime, tried to revive and bring maybe Ceausescu's brother or his wife or some other, some other person from the same family to revive the communist regime. And then the mindset and the deeds of people were still there present. They are still sometimes present today. It took over 30 years and, and still going for communism to come out of people's minds and deeds. Although the power of communism fell once in 89. And uh, ever since I came to the United States and I was immersed in a, a more democratic nation, it became easier for me to renew my mind and to uh, to replace all those uh, old attitudes and habits and mindset, a way of thinking with a new way of thinking. Now I want to ask you a question because many people, uh, when I talk about sin, about they always say, oh, you can never be perfect. You can never reach a state of perfection. And I, I agree with them. But now let me ask you uh, this, this. When I came out of communism, could I ever dream or dare to dream that I will one day be perfectly free and I will experience perfection and freedom? Yes, of course. Although I know that I, I might still have some things there, here and there that remain that I'm not conscious of, but I, I, uh, I tend towards perfection and slowly, step by step, uh, those communist thoughts, that, that communist way of thinking, those things in the past, they remain in the past and the, my mind is renewed. So in the same way, the, what I'm trying to say here is the power of sin, the flesh, is gone. 
but the mindset and the body is still, uh, the flesh is still ingrained, if you want, in your mind and your body. And the, that's why the Bible says that you need to renew your mind after the Word of God. So that the, the mind starts, begins to be conditioned by the righteous nature of the Spirit that we have received as salvation. I hope this example gave uh, even more light in what, I, what the Bible is trying to say. And this is a powerful, powerful thing. Now, I want to move to a passage from Romans uh, 7, 14 to 25. Because every time I say that uh, the new creation, the believers are no longer sinners. They don't have a flesh. The, this passage comes, comes to mind where Paul has a seeming conflict. And let's read first the passage. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur, concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? I was mentioning earlier. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, a lot of uh, commentators and Christians believe that, that Paul is talking here about his experience after salvation, that he's trying to do good, but he cannot because there's a law of sin uh, waging war in his, in his body. And the main, uh, the main reason for believing that is they, they say that an unbeliever or a person who is not born again would not have this desire to uphold the law of God. Only a Christian who is born again has this desire to do good, to do the will of God. And that's the main reason why they think, among others, why they think that Paul is talking here of his experience after salvation. But we are going to see, and I'm going to prove that what he is talking here is his experience before salvation and not after salvation. And uh, first of all, I want to, I want to say that uh, all people that are born on this planet, they still have the knowledge of good and evil. They still have a conscience because Adam uh, ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So people still have a conscience and they know what is good and evil. Although they don't have the ability to always do good because of the sin nature. But they, nevertheless, we have a moral compass, a conscience. And secondly, Apostle Paul and the people of Israel and Jews in general... 
they received the law of Moses all their life before Christ came to the to the world they tried to uphold the law isn't that right like all throughout the Old Testament they received the law of God so they wanted to uphold the law of God the Jews uh, were trying to obey the law and Paul was a teacher of the law he knew the law by heart and he tried to uh, to be righteous by the law although he was not a believer so that argument that uh, an unbeliever would not want to uphold the law of God fails false because Paul he was acquainted with the law he wanted to fulfill the law although he was a non-believer and even the people that don't believe in Christ today they most of people normal people they want to be good they want to be moral they want to do things so they have a knowledge of the moral law of God so that argument falls right there um, then let's go to verse 14 for we know that the law is spirit but I am flesh sold into bondage to sin this is a strong expression sold into bondage to sin however earlier in Romans 6 verses 7 and 14 let's read it together he said this before this passage in Romans if we go a little bit back in chapter 6 verses 7 and 14 says that for he who has died to sin is freed from sin. So you, he cannot be both freed from sin and in bondage to sin, sold into bondage to sin. And then uh, 6.14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Sin is no longer master over Paul after salvation. So he can no longer be sold into bondage to sin unless he's talking about the period when he was really in a bondage to sin. And then... Uh, we see also earlier uh, in the same chapter 7 where we took this passage 14 to 25 but in 7 verses 5 and 6 let's read them together Paul says this for while we were in the flesh the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to produce fruits of death but now we have been released from the law having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Once, Paul says, we were in the flesh and the law aroused our flesh. Our flesh was aroused by the law. The, like whenever the law, which was spiritual, was perfect, came in contact with the sin nature, with the flesh, it produced a negative reaction because the flesh was opposed to the law. So the flesh was aroused, incited by the law. Then Paul says that now we've been released from the law. But in what way? The law remained the same. But we've been released because he says we have died to that by which we were bound. What that might be. If before you were aroused by the law to produce sin, now you are released by the law because you died to that which you were bound. So what died? You died to sin to which you were bound and which was aroused by the law. So when you died to sin, to that which you were bound in the past, then you were released from the law because there was no more negative reaction there. Here we see that Paul cannot, cannot talk about his, about his state after salvation. He cannot be sold into bondage to sin after salvation when there are so many passages before this and after this in Romans 8, which show clearly that uh, he has been freed from sin, from the bondage to sin. I said earlier that 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says that the power of sin is the law. And I said this uh, when the law came in contact with the sin nature, produced death. Now let's go to Romans, uh, it's still here, 7, 
verses 17 and 20, which we read. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And verse 20, but I, I, if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. How can sin dwell, dwell in him? We saw so many, in so many ways that sin is not possible after salvation. Sin has nature to dwell in us. It cannot dwell in the temple of God. The Holy Spirit cannot coexist with the sin nature. Again, uh, Paul is not talking about uh, here after salvation, but more compelling are verses 23 to 25. He says this, But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, against my conscience, and, uh, conscience, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? What is the body of death? Everything that constitutes death or everything that constitutes flesh. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Why would Paul give thanks to God? Because he was delivered from the body of this death, of everything that constitutes death. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh. The law of sin. I serve the law of sin. But then in Romans 8, 2, he says this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul was made free from the law of sin and death that he was struggling in chapter 7. When he came into Christ, he says, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 2 says, for the law of spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he's no longer, he's no longer serving the law of sin with his flesh because he has been free, made free from the law of sin and death. Uh, with these, I'll conclude, with these arguments, I'll conclude that Paul here, even though it seems that he talks in the present time, he definitely must talk about the period before salvation because too many things surrounding this chapter before and after chapter 6, 5, 6 in Romans and 8 talk about that we were set free. And not only those, but all the other epistles, Colossians, Galatians, talk about that the flesh is gone. The law of sin and death is gone. We are no longer subject to the law of sin and death, but to the law of spirit of life, to the law of grace. Amen. That was the big chunk of this session. And I want to conclude with one more thing related to this death of the flesh. And the, uh, that is that once we, we die to sin and to the flesh, we died once. There are three passages in the Synoptic Gospel in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew 16, 24 to 27, Mark 8, 34 to 37, and Luke 9, to, verses 23 to 26. And in the passage in Luke is a little bit different because it adds a word daily. But it says there that if you want to follow me, take, Jesus says that take up the cross and die, deny yourself. Let's read from the passage from Matthew because they are one and the same. Only in Luke there is one word added there daily that I will explain. But let's read the verses from Matthew, the passage in Matthew 16, 24 to 27. Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Many Christians interpret these verses as referring to denials of pleasures and obedience and complete obedience to Christ. It's something like uh, they really want to do something that they like where it's pleasurable but it's sinful. I like to do this but for the sake of Christ I will sacrifice myself and because God says so I will say so. They feel like they are losing something valuable, something pleasurable, something that they could take benefit of but because God says so I will say I, I will deny and they feel like that is what they are really are loving those pleasures loving those things that are sinful and they feel that that's the way they are but they have to keep that beast under control and deny that they have to keep the beast of sin inside of them under control and deny and every day daily take up the cross and say no to pleasures and be obedient to Christ and that's the Main way I understood for years and main way many Christians understand this passage. What I, what I want to say here is that this death that Jesus talks about here, that if anyone he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, talks about the death that is made once and then is reinforced. Let's look at, at verses 25-27 in this passage in Matthew 16. If we look carefully, it talks about saving the life or you lose it. it talks about gaining the whole world and forfeiting your soul or what man would give in exchange for his soul and then it talks about the judgment day where everyone will receive according to their deeds so the whole context here the forfeiting of soul the saving of the soul is it talks about salvation it doesn't talk about the daily uh, obedience daily denial it talks about the moments of salvation about forfeiting the soul losing your life gaining your life so the the Taking up of the cross that Jesus talks here, the death that Jesus talks here is the death that we experience when we are born again, death to sin. We take up the cross of Jesus Christ in Christ, we die with Him, we are resurrected with Him, and then we enforce that death. We don't die every day, but we enforce that death in our mind, in our physical bodies, in our world. We enforce that death and the new life that we received in Christ. The believer dies only once in his spirit at the moment of salvation and then reinforces that death daily in the mind and in his body. And uh, that is the way that the passage in Luke could be understood. The dying of daily, the taking of the cross daily is that reinforcing, it's not actual death, but is the reinforcing of the spiritual death and spiritual life that we experience of the moment of salvation. And by the way, in the New King James Version of the Bible, there's a note on that daily word in Luke, in Luke passage, there's a note there that says that the daily was not present in the Masoretic text. There might be the possibility even that the word daily was not there in the early manuscripts, but let's keep it there because it's there and the translator did a great job. So if we understand that the, the death daily, we have to understand it this way, that we reinforce this, the death. We don't die actually every day. We died once to sin and we became alive in Christ. And also Jesus talks about the cross here at the, at the point in time when he had not died yet to the cross. He, he is alive here, but he talks about the cross. And we know that the 
Jews were very accustomed with the death on the cross because Romans, the Romans were practicing that they were punishing by death on the cross. And Jesus makes here reference to the cross and he's preparing in a way the people for the sal- for salvation by letting them know that they have to be crucified in order to be saved. When he will be crucified later on, then they will be crucified in him and they will understand salvation. They will be crucified in him. He will be crucified for us, but then we will take up the cross with him, in him, and that's the way we are going to be saved. And also these passages could be also understood that as if Jesus was trying to show to them exactly as he showed in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he explained them the, the written law and the spirit of the law trying to make it impossible to them to keep the law. So here he's trying to show them how impossible it is to be saved. You have to die on the cross every day, every day in order to be saved. It brings into our remembrance the daily offerings, the sacrifices that the people of Israel had to, and the day of atonement, every year they had to repeat the same sacrifices, the same offerings for sin, because sin could not be removed so easily. So here he said, you have to die, you have to die on the cross every day so that you would not forfeit your soul. So in other words, he's trying to show how impossible it is for someone to be saved unless Jesus goes to the cross and we die. We take up our cross when we come into him, into Christ. We take up our cross with him and we follow him and we deny the old self. We put off the old self. That was means deny here. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, his old self, Take up his cross and follow me. When we did, when did we do that? When we become born again in, and come into Christ Jesus. There is another passage in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 30 and 31 where Paul talks about dying daily. And a lot of people are quoting this verse that we have to die daily. But let's read this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 30 to 31. Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If you read that constant, you will see that Paul, Apostle Paul, talks about the physical dangers and about the persecutions that he was faced with. And when he says, I die daily, he, he is actually saying, I am every day at the point of death because I'm so persecuted from, and I'm, I'm always in danger in every hour to the point of death daily. So he talks about the physical death, not about dying to sin or denying himself every day. That is cleared out. And also we see in the passage that we read in the beginning of the session from Romans 6 verses 2. May it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? So we died once at the time of salvation. It's a one-time thing. It's a past tense thing. Then Romans 6, 3 to 5. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. How many times have you, have you been baptized into Christ Jesus or baptized in water or baptized into his death? Only once. You were baptized into Christ once in water, meaning into his death. And we are not still being baptized in his death or still dying. We died. And Romans 6, 6, finally, knowing that our old self was crucified with, is not being crucified, was crucified with him. So Christ was crucified once, and we were crucified once together with him. This session, it's a, it was a little bit longer than the others. But what, uh, what, I'm, what I want, I would like us to take from this session is that your sinful flesh is gone and you died once. And you are enforcing that death. You are not dying every day. 
And the real you is not a beast, a sinful beast inside that you're trying to keep under control by the grace of God. The real you is righteousness. The uh, Only your mind, the old habits, your body and your mind tries to, to lie to you that you still have a sinful nature, a flesh, but you don't. And believe that and ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe that and apply it into it because that will give you tremendous freedom and in the next session in the future we'll talk about how to overcome sin but now you know that you have the ability to say no to sin you can't say no there is no longer an evil principle in you an outside force that you have to tame or a dog that you have to starve so that you live in holiness you are free from sin that that's why i entitled this session the fall of sin's dictatorship in the same way the power of communism fell but communism took a longer time to come out of people from their minds in the same way the sins dictatorship is broken when you are saved when you come into christ but it takes time to renew your mind to find out from the word of god who you really are and then live that new life in the newness of the spirit and that's awesome and tremendous that's extraordinary and now before i close i just want us to memorize two verses that i was saying about galatians 2:20 and galatians 5:24 let's say it together i have been crucified with christ it's already personalized i have been crucified with christ and it is it is no longer i who live but christ lives in me christ lives tangibly in me in you and the life which I now live in the flesh, in the physical body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Hallelujah. Glory to you, Jesus. Thank you for giving yourself up for me. And Galatians 5.24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Your flesh is crucified, is dead. Amen. Let's pray uh, as we close this. Father, we thank you for this session. We thank you that you have delivered us and made us free from the sin nature, from the flesh. Thank you, Father, that we are free from flesh. We are free from sin and we are free to live for righteousness. Thank you that we died once, but we, every day we enforce that death and we live for God. We live for righteousness. Father, I pray that you would... Uh, uh, give us more grace we receive grace and that by the holy spirit you will help us to live this new life and to live into righteousness to live righteousness and to produce the fruits of life fruits of righteousness father we thank you jesus i thank you that you have given yourself up for me so that i would be free from sin free from the domination of sin free from the dictatorship of sin and i am free father i am free free from sin thank you so much father thank you holy spirit thank you jesus i worship you and i love you with all my heart i worship you don't you want to worship him right now worship him right now thank him father thank you thank you for this uh, uh, glorious gospel this glorious salvation that you have given us thank you father for your love thank you for your love towards us thank you for your grace for your mercy father we love you, Abba Father. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. And until the next session, may God bless you 
and fill you with the Spirit and make it cause you to walk in freedom of sin, to walk you in the liberty of the, of the Spirit of life, in the liberty of the new creation. Amen.